Well, sometimes we just have one of those mornings where the best laid plans just don't go quite as planned. So we're going to try to get the projectors working. If things flash on and off of there, just ignore it for a bit. Uh, Let's start with a prayer for sure. God, we thank you for this morning, glitches and all. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together with friends and family, brothers and sisters, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, and being in your presence together. And so, God, I pray that we will have ears to hear your word for us this morning. That we will be encouraged, that we will be inspired, that we will be drawn closer to you and to each other through this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this December, we've been talking about our Christmas playlists, going through our favorite songs and, of course, our least favorite songs. Uh, We're not going to belabor that point anymore this week. You can go back and review my list of things that you should not be playing this time of year from previous lessons. The Christmas songs that we enjoy vary widely. There are songs that really focus us in on Traditions like Santa and Christmas trees and white Christmases. There are songs that are just lighthearted and fun. There are songs that have deep theological truths intertwined in them. Truths about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Celebrations of God and the great gifts that he has provided for us. And intermingled with these Christmas songs are these nativity scenes, these scenes of Jesus being born and placed in a manger. We sing, away in the manger, no crib for a child. And how true is that? It is no crib for a child. That is not a place that a child needs to be. As we think about what it means to give birth to a child and and provide what that child needs, a manger is not the place for that. In our modern world of, of medicine and product recalls and malpractice suits, it's definitely not a place for a child. The manger full of hay is not where a coming king should be placed. And instead of the controlled voices of doctors and nurses and labor coaches and all the things that go on around the birth of a child, we have the cows mooing and the sheep baying and the goats doing goat things. (laughs) If any of that was happening in the labor and delivery room that you were a part of, uh, we would be in trouble. There are no sanitized bassinets, there are no sterile gloves, there are no face masks or antibiotics. This is not a safe place, this place where the cattle feed in a trough that's in the ground. 
having been on this baby journey over this last year, which we celebrate a year this next Saturday, in this, cel- in this time of, of having a baby, we're very aware of all the products that are thrown at you and sold to you to make your babies happy and safe and comfortable. The crib, as we know it, for example, was, was only invented in the 1800s. Before then, infants generally slept with their mothers, which now is a no-no, apparently. But, but these cribs were invented in such a way because they thought that the floors uh, contained toxic fumes, and the ceilings had other fumes that were hovering around, and so the, the crib was designed to get them into the safe air between the air that was on the floor and the air that was in the ceiling. This was the crib. Of course, they painted it with lead paint, and they had these drop-down sides that have since been re- re- <laughs> recalled. But, but hey, they weren't getting the toxic fumes of the floor, right? <laughs> Having a baby in the first century was not easy, and it was not safe. It was a risky thing, not only for the baby, but for the mother. And so here Mary is, and she puts Jesus in the manger because she has no other choice and it's dangerous, much more than is sung about in our songs or depicted in our t- nativities that, that appear safe and comfortable. It's not really that safe, not really that comfortable. These last two weeks, we've talked about the Song of Mary, and we've talked about the Song of Zechariah, and today we get to the next song where Jesus is actually born and celebrated. But first, the story behind the music. Let's be turning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. Let's pause there just for a minute. We have this historical context that Luke is giving for us. Remember when we talked about Zechariah, it started with in the time of Herod. In the time of Herod gave us this cringe factor because we think about the oppression and the bloodthirsty tyranny of King Herod. And this is the environment in which Jesus and John are being born into. The time of Herod is not a good context to be in. And now here we have in verse 1 in the time of Caesar Augustus. Now, if you were to ask anybody in in Mary and Joseph's time who the most powerful person was, the answer is definitely Caesar. Caesar is at the top of power and control, the top of wealth and status. In the time of Caesar Augustus, we have this environment where Rome is ruling, and there would be no question of who the most powerful was. And we get to this story of Jesus' birth. This is the environment that exists. This is the context in which Jesus is coming into the world. He gives us a picture of what is going on. This, This oppressive rule is the shadow that casts over the entire story of Jesus and even on into the early church. Continuing in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped him up in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so the actual birth story of Jesus is pretty simple, pretty brief. The time came, in this one sentence, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth, and she wraps him up and puts him in a manger. That is the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Lord, the birth of our King. One simple line there. But yet there's so much more that is going on around the birth here. It seems simple enough that, that Mary gives birth to this child, but then heaven breaks in. And something incredible happens. This angel shows up and comes to shepherds. Of all people, the angel comes into shepherds to celebrate the good news that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is born. Now, Caesar Augustus is the most important person, the most powerful person, the one with all the status, and he doesn't get as much as a memo. And here the shepherds are getting this direct encounter from God saying Jesus is born. Caesar, he's overlooked. The shepherds are the ones that are seen, the ones that are communicated with. They are the lowest of the working class. They are herdsmen that are out sleeping with and smelling like the sheep. And here they are, the ones that the messenger of God comes to. You see, God just completely flips over the social structure that, that Caesar, who is powerful, gets nothing, and these shepherds who are weak and lowly get everything. Zechariah and Elizabeth, these elderly, infertile, rural country folk, Mary, who is this unwed teen mother, these are the ones that God uses, these are the ones that God comes to and speaks to. And these shepherds don't just get any old announcements. They get this message from an angel. And after the angel has told them the great things that have just happened in Bethlehem, this whole concert of the ages begins. Out in this pasture, out with the sheep and with the shepherds, the birth of this little boy is celebrated in this rural little village. It causes the angels to launch into praise that fills the night sky. And they sing and they sing. In verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, you can't even count them, it is a great, great company. This heavenly host appears with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God. 
And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And Mary treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had heard and that they had seen, which were just as they had been told. It's interesting to note the characters that get all the attention in this story. We have these angels, this angel that comes onto the scene and then the great heavenly hosts that join in this celebration. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told the angels are spirits who serve God and who are sent to help. There's some 300 references to angels throughout Scripture. And they often are occupying these very strategic places in the story of God. They come in as his messengers at these critical times. Just here in Luke, we've already seen angels come in and visit Zechariah. We see an angel come and visit Mary. And now here, this angel is making this incredible announcement to the group of shepherds. And each time the angels speak up, they start with, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. An angel comes to Hagar in the desert and says, Fear not. An angel comes to Daniel in Babylon and says, Fear not. An angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and says, Fear not. An angel comes to Zechariah and says, Fear not. Mary has an angel come to her and says, Fear not. And the shepherds are told, Fear not. And we are told, Fear not. Fear not. That in a world consumed by fear, a world consumed with uncertainty, a world from, consumed with diagnosis, illness, death, we are told fear not. And as if this reassurance was not enough, the heavenly choir strikes up in praise to God. The curtains of heaven are opened and pulled back, and we get a glimpse into the supernatural world around us. We get a glimpse into what it is that God is up to. And then we have these shepherds this mess of a group of guys that are, are out here working hard, who are out sleeping with their flocks. They're not wealthy. They're not educated. They're not city dwellers. They're not part of high society. They have no status. They have no privilege. They have no power. They are the exact opposite of Caesar. And here they are, the lowly and the humble. They're the ones that God first shares the message with. They're the ones that he first shares the good news of Jesus about. They are the ones who receive this gospel message that Jesus is born, and they respond. 
they go and become the first evangelists. They go to Bethlehem, they see what they have heard about, and then they spread the word. These are shepherds that go and share the message of Jesus. They can't help but talking about what it is they have seen and what it is that they have experienced. And they're glorifying God and they are praising God all along the way. And then the final character that takes center stage is, of course, Jesus. Now, his physical appearance is not narrated that much. He gets one little sentence. He's born and put in a manger, and that's all we see about Jesus. But everything else is focused on Jesus. It is clear that the message is about who he is. In Luke chapter 1, the angel announces to Mary that her child would be the king of an everlasting kingdom. And Zechariah prophesies that the coming one would be like the rising sun, providing light to guide our feet in the way of peace. These are pretty bold descriptions of this little baby boy. And here he is in this manger. The angel introduces him to the shepherds as Savior, as Messiah, as Lord And this is just an introduction to who Jesus is. The rest of the Gospel of Luke, the rest of the book of Acts, give us a further explanation of the nature of Jesus, his authority, his lordship, his messiahship, and and the extent to which his power will overcome sin, break the captives free, and battle the forces of evil. This is the Jesus that is born and laying in this manger. Here is this birth of Christ, the Christ child that is so simple and so average. And we see this incredible description of who God is. The character of God is revealed through these characters of the shepherds and of the angels and of Jesus. The angels remind us that that we're not alone, that God sends us help, that he sends us protection, that he sends us teachers, and he is reminding us, fear not. And then we have the shepherds who are telling us that, that God is committed to the masses of humanity. Not just to some, but to all. He, he, he comes in not just for the elite, not just for the wealthy, not just for the powerful. He comes in extremely interested in the marginalized and the lowly and in the humble. These are the ones that he speaks to. And in the coming of Jesus, we find a God who comes to save, and he does so in a very real and a very tangible, and a very profoundly simple way. His baby son in a manger. From these we learn that God is not something that is unknowable. He's not distant. He's not unconcerned with human affairs. We, we learn that God wants to be with us. We learn that the God who created the heavens and the earth is ultimately involved, ultimately involved in his creation to the point that he is coming to walk among his people. And the heavens open up and these two worlds collide. 
He's a God who has entered fully into this human mess, living in poverty, living as a refugee, living with people who have major issues. He comes in when, to live among us. He associates himself with outcasts. He gives and helps the poor. He heals the sick. He frees the captive. He cared about immigrants and about strangers. He didn't care that much about money, sex, or power. And because of this, because of Jesus, we join with the angels in singing glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace, real, true peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's stand together. We're going to continue worshiping together. And imagine the, the heavenly hosts breaking in. Can you imagine being out in that pasture that night as the shepherds in their unassuming job just going along with every night before and suddenly God shows up and this choir breaks through and sings this incredible song. And so we're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to sing about this, this night that Jesus comes. And the reality of it is so, so much more than what the songs and the nativity scenes project. Here is this dangerous situation. This child in a crib that is not fit for a king but comes in and turns the world upside down. And so as we sing, this is an opportunity for us to pray together. It's a time for us to encourage one another. Sometimes we need to be the voice for one another from God that says, fear not. And so if you need to be reminded, fear not. Find somebody to pray with. We'll have shepherds down front. You can pray as a family. You can pray as a, as a life group, as, as friends and family. This is a time for us to, to lift our concerns up to God through song and prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this message of Jesus. These angels that come in and say, fear not. These angels that come in and teach us who you are and teach us how to worship you. God, we celebrate you today, not just today, but with every bit of our lives. Continue to unveil those heavenly hosts so that we can see you more clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.